0: Let's go.
1: Hello Freedom House. How you guys doing today? Everybody doing all right? Have a good Easter? Have a good week? Hopefully did something fun, got to relax a little bit. Um, Well, my name's Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team and uh, so great to see all your smiling faces. Um, And you know, isn't it great to be able to wish our pastor a happy birthday? And we got some great leaders. Um, He's down at South End today preaching and something if you're new here, I met some new folks uh, in the lobby today, um, it's, it's unique about Freedom House is that we have multiple campuses, but we have a live pastor bringing God's word at each one of our campuses. So instead of a video being streamed in of Pastor Troy, because, you know, he could do that. A lot of churches do that. Senior pastor just does everything. But I love that about our pastors is they involve everyone. It's, it's a church about the vision and about the team, and I just love that. So you give get some honor for our senior pastor, Troy, and for Pastor Penny. I love their vision, it's so awesome. Um, and want to greet those that are joining us online today. Uh, so, so happy you guys are with us. we got folks uh, tuning in right now from Colorado, from North Carolina, New York, New Jersey, and from Puerto Rico. You guys give it up for them. So glad you're with us today as well. And we're kind of landing the plane on this series we've been in on the Trinity. Anybody learned anything? About God, about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, yeah? Yeah, well, good, well, good. Well, today we're going to really dive into the importance of the Trinity. We're going to talk about some things today that I think will really ignite your passion and your love for God. Help you walk out of here today knowing God just a little bit better. If you're taking notes today, and you know if you take notes, you go to heaven. Amen. If you take notes, you go to heaven. So it's a good idea. I'm just saying. You might want to take some notes. You take your phone out. Using our app, you can put notes right right in there. But if you're taking notes today, the title of the message today is The Unhidden God. The Unhidden God. Now, how many fathers do I have in the the house today? Yeah, quite a few. I'm a dad. Dad, I I got two right here. We were talking this morning in the the Salt Resource Center about, you know, prom and how she's never, ever going to be allowed to go. (laughs) And the person in Salt was trying to tell me, no, dad, come on, when she's 17. And I said, listen, all these boys just need to know that it's been a while since I got out of jail, but I'm not afraid to go back. (laughs) All right, let's be clear. But as a dad, you know, you love your kids, right? You love your kids and you play games with your kids when they're They're young, right? You you play games. My wife always freaks out when I play with our son because she always thinks I'm being too rough. But she doesn't understand the whole reason we had a boy was to train him to be a ninja, to protect his sister. I've been telling him since he was like two, I'm like, you're here for one reason. When these little boys start coming around your sister, you're going to take them out. And he's like, with you, Dad, got it. So me and him fight, we wrestle and all that kind of stuff. But you know, one of the fun games to play with your kids when they're small, is hide-and-seek, right? Anybody ever played hide-and-seek before? Play hide-and-seek. It's fun, right? And when kids are little, as a dad, sometimes you hide from your kids. But the point of the game, when you're playing hide-and-seek with little children, a a two-year-old child, the point of the game is not to be hidden. The point of the game is to be found, right? You don't hide as a father and then just like, because you can win the game, right? As a dad, I mean, I can go in the garage, climb up. I mean, they'd never find me, right? And so, I mean, I could, you know, shut the door, go hide somewhere. Then my kids would like be traumatized, need therapy when they got older. Like I couldn't find my dad for two days, you know, where's my dad? I mean, that's not the point of the game, right? The point of the game is to, is to be found. And so you hide behind the couch and what do you do? You stick your leg out. So it's obvious, so they can see your foot, they can see your leg, and they go, "Oh, oh, dad's over there. I think I see him, right? And then they're two, and they're running over there, and they're like, I got you! And they feel so proud, right? Because they, they beat you at the game. You're like, you got me, you found me. How do you find me every time? You're so smart, right? You're a genius. I mean, no matter where I hide, no matter what I do, you find me every single time. Well, you know, that's exactly how God is. God wants us to pursue him And sometimes it feels like God is hidden, but he's never hidden for the sake of being hidden. He's hidden to provoke you to pursue him. He wants you to chase after him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find him. Because how many of you have ever been reading your Bible before and you find God, right? You see the foot. You see God's leg sticking out from behind the couch, right? You get a little revelation of something that you never saw before. You see a little glimpse of your dad. And don't you get excited? Like, oh, I think I see my dad. I think I know. I think I see something, right? And it's fun and it's exhilarating. Why? Because God is a good father and he wants us to find him. He wants us to pursue him. So let's read through a few scriptures. It's just to set the theme. I'm not going to read the whole verse. You can write these down. You can go look them up later. I could have found 50 of these. But I just picked a few to kind of start off today. So James 4 verse eight. It says, "Draw near to God and He will." It says, "Draw near to God and He will. Draw near to, draw near to God and He will." Draw near to you. Doesn't sound like a God who doesn't want to be found. Sounds like a dad who's ready, right? Who wants to draw close to you, Jeremiah 29? Verses 13 through 14, it says, You will seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Isn't he a good father? Isn't he a good father? Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, it says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently what? find me so God is not trying to stay hidden and so often I hear people talking about God like he, he can't be found like we can never know God we can never approach God like you know this this God up in outer space like we can never really we can never really put our hands on what it is to to, to know God to, to to feel God's presence like he's so distant he's so far but that's not the God I read about in the scripture it's not what the Bible tells me. That's not the, the picture that's being painted. God wants to be found. But we know that many pe- people in this world, they seek after God, but they don't find him. Think about all the religions in the world. They can't all be right. And listen, I know we've got some young people, some millennials in the house today, and I'm going to share something earth-shattering with you. Um, ushers, we are the ushers? Raise your hand if you're an usher. Ushers, there you go. Ushers, get the tissues ready. If the tissue's ready, there could be some waterworks here. But listen, this is tough. Everyone can't be right all the time. Listen, when you're having an argument with somebody, one of you is right, and one of you's probably wrong. I know it's hard. It's hard. And listen, this is even more earth-shattering. Sometimes the one that's wrong is you. I know. It's startling, isn't it? And we live in this culture today where everything, everybody's right. It's just a matter of perspective. It's just a matter of how you view it. No, it's not. Listen, I smack you upside the head, it's going to hurt. It's not a matter of perspective. That's an objective reality. When I was a kid, my, my cousin... Landon, he was brutal to me. He would beat the living you-know-what out of me. He hit me one time with a two-by-four. Let me tell you something. It was not a matter of perspective. (laughs) There was no world, there was no paradigm in which that didn't hurt, in which he was okay. That was wrong, right? That hurt, right? There is objective truth in all the religions in the world are not right. We're not all just people seeking after God and, you know, some way, somehow, we'll just find him. No, because many people don't find him. Many people don't find him. So why is Christianity unique in our understanding of God? And this is important to understand. Christianity is unique in our understanding of God because we draw our understanding of God, our knowledge of God, from God. God. We draw our understanding of God, our knowledge of God, from God himself. It's God's revelation from God to mankind is how, as a Christian, we know who God is. God is not a God we're making up. Because, listen, if we were going to make up a God, he wouldn't be a trinity. Right? It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. I don't think there's a human being smart enough to come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. We, the God of the Bible's not the God we would have invented. Yeah. And so the difference in being a Christian is we're not formulating or making up a God to make ourselves feel better. No, we have a revelation of God from God Himself. God came down. He showed us Himself. And this is important to understand because most people live their entire lives questioning a God they've invented in their own mind. Well, God doesn't live up to my standards. Yeah, because He's the God you created in your head. The God that is pre-existent, that is eternal, the triune God of the Bible He is integral. He never changes. He never shifts. He never fails. He never gets tired. He always honors his word. And so when we feel like God is failing us, often it's because we're not believing in the right God. Christians believe in the one true God who has revealed himself to us as a divine trinity. What does that mean? One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The doctrine or the teaching, when you hear me say the word doctrine, doctrine is just, it means teaching. It's a a standard of belief or teaching about a subject. The doctrine of the Trinity has been the foundational truth of Christianity, and it's what Christianity has been built on for over 2,000 years. If you go back and read church history, every huge dispute, schism that really mattered, I mean, you know, like... In the last 20, 30 years, we have disputes all the time about the color of the carpet and the, you know. Churches fight all the time about stupid stuff. But big things, right? When the Catholic Church broke, with really the Reformation, the Protestants broke off from the Catholic Church. When you really study church history, almost every major debate or schism or frustration or whatever it was was about the Trinity. It was about this doctrine of the Trinity because it was about who God really is. Man, our faith isn't going to help us very much if our faith is in the wrong God. It's got to be planted in the right God. And the problem is, in our fast-paced, kind of microwave-ready modern culture, we're addicted to do. We're addicted to do, right? Not Mountain Dew. That's pretty good, too. But we're addicted to doing. Our identity comes so much about what we do, what we accomplish. When we meet somebody, hey, what's your name? What do you do? Because our identity's wrapped up in do, and it's proven that it's the same way for Christians. You know how I know that? Because I oversee, now Jordan really kind of runs it now, salt, but I I have a hand in the books that we pick for our resources. When you go to christianbooks.com, when you go on Amazon, when you look at Christian Books In Christian book sales the top five top ten best-selling Christian books are always about what you and I need to do what do we need to do what do I need to do to get God to do the thing what do I need to do to be accepted by God what do I need to do to have a better life so we skip over important theological truth because we just want the cliff notes I don't need to study all that stuff to really have an understanding of who God is, who I am, why all this is here. No, just tell me what to do. Just give me the cliff notes so I can be a good Christian. So I can check all the boxes. I can do all the stuff and I can be approved by God and I can have a happy life. Can I just tell you that's not Christianity. Christianity has never been based on what we do. It's not based on that. It's based on who God is, who he wants you to become. It's not about that. It's not about behavior modification. We talked about that on Easter. It's not about you you just learning how to behave better. It's about a transformation of heart, of who you are. And so this fast-paced society, this culture that we live in, has caused us as Christians to look at the Trinity wrong, okay? Okay? So we're going to talk about a few things today and how we as Christians look at the Trinity wrong. And it hurts our faith, it hurts our life, it hurts our witness, it hurts everything about us as Christians. So it's caused us to see the Trinity, I believe, as two things it's not. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you two things. I'm not going to give them both to you now because then you might tune out. So I'm going to give you one. That's right. You can be mad if you want to. I'm giving you one now. You're going to have to listen. Come and give you the second one later. All right? So what's the first one? The Trinity is not a problem we must explain. The Trinity is not a problem we must explain. It is the unique revelation of God's nature. It's not a problem we must explain. When I talk to most Christians, if if the subject of the Trinity comes up over, you know, I'm not going to date myself, but I've been around for a while. And I've been in church pretty much my whole life. And when the talk of the Trinity comes up, it's always about, yeah, but how do you explain it? Because people find it confusing. People are intimidated. And let me ask you this. In all the times you've shared your faith with somebody, how often have you led with the Trinity? No hands going up on that one. I'll be honest, I haven't either, right? You know, hey, hey, I'd love to invite you to church. Listen, do you understand the triune God of the Bible? The doctrine of the Trinity back in um, AD 97. Like, we don't start there, do we? No, it's something that we almost hope doesn't come up, right? We almost hope it doesn't come up because we view the Trinity not as, a, as an opportunity. We view it as a problem that we have to explain, a problem theologically or logically that we have to deal with, but it's not a problem. It's the unique revelation of God's nature. Too many Christians see the Trinity as a logical problem. We never take the time to consider the awesome characteristics of God that would be impossible If God were a single person God. Now let's look at John chapter 17. I'm going to read a few today in John and some words of Jesus. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, this is John 17 verse 1. It says, when John had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you one thing you're going to notice between the trinity is that the father to the son to the holy spirit back to the son back to the father they're always glorifying each other father i just want to glorify you the father's no i want to glorify you no i want to glorify you no i want to glorify you there's always this back and forth of love and honor and glory in the trinity Verse 2, it says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And listen to verse 3. This is so important as Christians that we understand verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you. This is eternal life. Eternal life is not living forever, eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is not living forever. Eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I love the movie Braveheart. Anybody like the movie Braveheart? Yep. Amazing movie. I love the quote, one of my favorite quotes from that movie. He's going to be put to death. He's in this dungeon um, his love is there. She's pleading with him. You don't need to die. You don't need. To. This is senseless. Just say what the king wants you to say, and you'll be you'll be spared. And William Wallace he has this amazing quote. He says, "All men die, but not all men truly live." You see, we all know in this room we're alive right now. We're breathing air, right? We're we're conscious. We're we're alive. But are we living? I mean, are we really? Alive? Do we have the God kind of life? Do you feel like you live every day possessed with what you would describe as a God kind of eternal life? Is that the way you're living? Because our Father doesn't want us to just exist. He wants us to have eternal life. And what does eternal life look like? Eternal life is life filled with love. It's life defined by love. It's life directed by love. Because everything God does is love because God is love. That's what God is. He he is love. Now think about this for a minute because this is where the Trinity comes into play. This is why the Trinity matters so much. A single person God could not be love. If God wasn't a Trinity, he could not be love. Think about that. If God were a single person God, he could not be loved. Because if God is a single person and God is eternal, then there was a time somewhere back in eternity past that God had no one to love. Think about that. If God were a single person, if he were not a trinity, he could not be a God of love. John or Jesus says here in John 17 verse 3, It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you. What does it say? Before the world began. See, before God created anything, before anything existed, Jesus was there. A triune God, a trinity, a God that reveals himself to us as a father who has eternally loved his Son through his Spirit, that God can be love. See, there's never been a time that God wasn't a father loving a son. There's never been a time that Jesus wasn't a son loving a father through the Spirit. There's never been a time in eternity that God couldn't be love because he's a trinity and he's always been loving somebody. And when we understand that, it changes everything about the way we relate and see God. Everything God does is motivated by love because that is who he is. Think about creation. It changes our creation story. Creation is no longer just a lonely old man that needs somebody love. See, if God was just this eternal being, this gray-bearded old guy sitting on a throne that was lonely... He had to create me and you because he needed someone to hang out with, right? I mean, he was just by himself. He was just all alone. And if that's really God, man, that's a pretty sad God. Because then that God needs me and you to be God. He couldn't be God without you. That's not the God I serve. But if God was eternal in a trinity, if, if, if that's what it really was, and creation was actually a father so in love with his son through his spirit that he wanted to share that love with you. Man, he was having such a good time. God said, man, let's, let's get some more people involved in this. Let's create man so that we can have other children. We can have other people to love. See, it changes everything about how you view God. What about holiness? Holiness is probably the most misunderstood thing in scripture, especially in modern times. We look at holiness like it's some rigid standard that we can never reach. When I say the word holiness, some of you just like, you just sat back in your chair like, ooh, ooh, right? Because holiness isn't fun. Holiness isn't love. Holiness isn't passionate. Holiness is the nun hitting you across the, the hand with the ruler, Right? When we think of holiness, I mean, that's what we think about. We think about, you better listen up. You better walk straight. You You better live right. We think it's boring. We think it's harsh. That's how we think of holiness. But when you understand that God is a trinity, it changes what holiness means. See, holiness with God is the expression of pure and perfect love. See, holiness with God is he loves his son perfectly. You and I don't even understand that kind of love. We can't even even wrap our brain around that kind of love. But holiness is about a God who loves you perfectly. See, his love's not flawed. You know when somebody, you fell in love with the first time, you know, you thought you did, you know, you get the butterfly thing and you're like, should we kiss, should we not, I don't know. Like, I don't know if she's into me. I don't know if he's into me. I don't know, right? And you're trying to figure it out, right? And there's a point in all human love that is selfish. We know that, right? I love my wife. I love my wife dearly. I love my kids. I love my kids. I mean, I would gladly, I feel like, jump in a bullet. I mean, in front of a bullet for my kids, for my wife, right? Anybody else feel like that? I mean, I I love my family. But there are times that my love for my family is selfish, it's flawed, it's human, right? None of us love perfectly. That's what holiness is. God loves perfectly. It's never selfish, it's never tainted, it's never wrong, it's never rude. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, you're reading about the love of God, not the love of man. Because you read that and you go, I don't love like that. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome. That love sounds awesome, but that's not the kind of love I know. But that's the love of God. That's what holiness really is. It's not a rigid standard to push us away. It's a love to draw us close. That's what holiness really is. It's beautiful. Salvation, when we understand the Trinity, is not mere tolerance or even forgiveness. A single person, God, could offer forgiveness, but would he offer intimacy? Would he offer sonship, an eternal God who had always been alone, would love nothing but himself. He would be turned inward, but our God is always turned outward. Loving others, giving to others, and you see that in the Trinity. When you see and understand the Trinity, you begin to see everything through love because the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father through the Spirit. They're always going back and forth at each other like, I love you, no, I love you, but you're amazing, but you're even more amazing. No, you're the most amazing, but no, I love you so much. That's how the Trinity talks to each other. That's the God that we serve. But without the Trinity, you can't understand that. You can't wrap your brain around God creating a universe and then filling it with pure love. God creating people, not as slaves and servants, but to become sons and daughters, to share in the eternal love the Father has always shared with the Son. Look at John 17, verse 23. Jesus says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. (laughs) Guys, the fact that Jesus could say that God would love us the way he loved, the way he loved Jesus, man, come on. Man, that's a God I want to serve. Man, that's a father I have to know that would love me like that when I've been like this. And yet he would love me. He knew before I was born the things I was going to do, but yet he still loved me. He still sent the son, the son that he'd always loved, he sent for you and me. Man, that's a love we can't understand. That's a love we can't wrap our brain around unless we understand the beauty of the Trinity. The beauty of the holiness of God, the Trinity, is not a problem to explain. It is the unique revelation that makes God, God. It's how God shows us his heart. It's how God reveals himself, the truth that God is one God in three persons. That he has existed eternally as a father loving a son through his spirit enables us to know the only true God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is not a problem. It's not something for you and I to worry about, how am I going to explain it? No, it's something to embrace, it's something to learn about. And I want to just encourage you before we get to the second point today, I want to encourage you of this. We've got an amazing book out here in the Salt Resource Center. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. And I'm going to be honest. Um, sometimes these books, we get them and some of the authors we know really well and it's like thumbs up, you know, sometimes we don't. And so this was one we didn't know. And so I had to read the book and I was like, dang it. (laughs) I really don't feel like reading a book by a seminary professor today. (laughs) I thought it was going to be the most dry, boring theological book I've ever read. Let me just tell you. It was incredible. I read it. The first evening, I got through maybe a third of it, and I shut the book and went, wow, like this book makes me just love God so much. It's an incredible book, so I'd encourage you to go get some while we have some left. It's a short read, but it is absolutely amazing, but it makes you see God with fresh eyes. I came out of reading that book so refreshed in my relationship with God because I was like, man, Man, God's love is just so amazing. His his nature is so beautiful. So I encourage you to go get that. All right, number two. I promised you a second one. Number two, the Trinity is not a trivial theological term. It is not a trivial theological term. It is the foundation for everything we believe. It is not a trivial theological term. It is not a distinction without a difference. Ever heard that term before? Somebody's arguing with you and it's like, man, you're just arguing for the sake of arguing right now, right? Like, we're not even disagreeing. Like, this is a distinction without a difference. And sometimes I think that's the way we think about the Trinity. We look at the Trinity as some obscure theological term that really doesn't have any significance in my life. And so, whatever, Like it just, you know, maybe we look at it differently than a Jehovah's Witness would look at it or a Catholic person would look at it or whatever. And like, we don't want to understand it. We don't want to look at it. But it is not a a distinction without a difference. Too many Christians simply relegate the Trinity to seminary professors, textbooks, and symbols. Like we have symbols of the Trinity everywhere. We don't know what they mean. But we got them everywhere, right? It's not that. We are sure that it has some importance, but we don't really see the big deal. But guys, without the Trinity, our faith would be unsteady. Listen, without the Trinity, your faith, I'm telling you, you're going to run into a theological problem, a debate with somebody who's not a Christian. You're not going to have a foundation to stand on. Your faith is not going to be secure. It's not going to have a sure foundation. And number two, our salvation would be transactional, not transformational. If you take the trinity out our salvation becomes transactional not transformational now let's look at this what enables us to have confidence that our faith is in the right target it's the trinity it's the identity of god because it doesn't matter we'll say well it's grace as christians you know we believe in grace did you know there are other religions that believe in grace there are other religions in which god has grace it's not exactly the same but very similar There are a lot of religions that can come off even sometimes nicer than Christianity. It's not always about that. But the unique thing about Christianity is the God in whom we believe. We're the only faith that has the Trinity. There are other religions who share similarities with Christianity. Judaism and Islam claim to have faith in the same God. How do we separate ourselves and our faith from others that seem so similar. We worship the only God who reveals himself as Christians as a divine trinity. And all the major early church creeds are based primarily on the doctrine of the trinity. The early church fathers knew the trinity had to be the foundation because it doesn't matter how much faith you have if you're believing in the wrong God. And so you can go, and let me tell you, this is something that really brings comfort to me because sometimes it's easy to get frustrated because it seems like in the body of Christ, um, there's all this division. You ever feel that way? Like, why does there have to be 7,500 different denominations? Like, there's First Baptist, there's Free Will Baptist, there's Southern Baptists. There's, like, my goodness, why does there have to be? It, only, it, it really hurts your faith sometimes to think about it. Because it's like, man, if if God is God and he's revealed himself through his word and through his son Jesus, why is there so much division? Why is there so much separation? But it's very comforting to know that in the early centuries of the church, there were four major creeds. I'm not going to go through them with you today. You can look them up online. They're easy to find. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um, You can look these up. But what's interesting to know is almost every Christian breathing oxygen agrees on these creeds. The Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Protestant Church in America, we all would read the Nicene Creed and go, yep, 100% right. And so on the core fundamentals of what we believe, what we have believed as Christians for 2,000 years, what we believe essentially has always been the same. It's always been the same. The things we split over that we argue about usually are minor, non-heaven and hell issues. They're usually issues that aren't going to impact your theology to the point that you're worshiping the wrong God. But when you read these creeds, and I encourage you to go do that today, great homework assignment, the Nicene Creed's like a paragraph. It's this long. If you can't get through that, you need help. But... If you go read these creeds, the thing you will notice about these creeds, they are almost entirely centered on the Trinity. They all talk about the Trinity, the importance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And not just that we believe in name of a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit, but no, there are unique roles and importance, the divinity of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is God, that is in these creeds, is so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 4 through 6, it says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. We know that, right? These carved idols, you go to another country and they have some statue, it's not real. It says that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist in one Lord Jesus Christ through whom we for whom are all things and through whom we exist. See, if you want to guard against false religions and false teachings, ask them about the identity of God. Jehovah's witness comes to your door? Ask them who Jesus is. Is Jesus God? Now, most people, when they see a Jehovah's Witness coming, um, what do you do? You run, you pretend you're not home, you turn the lights off. Honey, turn the lights off. It's like you go into special ops mode, right? Like, kids, shh, turn the TV off. Like, everybody, get down. Don't let them know we're here. Now, I'm gonna tell you one of the unique things that just makes me me. When I would see Jehovah's Witnesses coming, Man, I get so fired up. They, they come to knock on the door and I like open it before they can knock. I'm like, hey! Want to talk about God, the Bible, things of faith, theology? And I'll sit there and talk to them. And so in my old neighborhood, they got to where they just avoided my house. They would not come to my house anymore. And one time this, there was an older lady, a younger lady. And, uh, and I said, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. You pray for me, but then I get to pray for you. And the older lady went, I think we need to go. (laughs) Because I've got eternal life. See, there's something in me that I know will get on them. Because I serve the real God. And when you ask them, who is Jesus? Never God. Never God. Muslims will say Jesus is a prophet, but not God. Jehovah Witnesses will say Jesus was just a man. Mormons will say the Holy Spirit is a substance or fluid. Hindus worship thousands of gods, but only Christians believe in the Trinity. Only Christians. Without the Trinity, our salvation would be transactional, not transformational. I want you to think about this. We're going to end on this today. The knowledge of God as a trinity allows us to see our sin as more than just breaking a rule. Now think about this for a minute. Because we know God is love, he created us in his image, right? If a God made entirely of love created you to be just like him, then you were created to love. Now think about this. If you were created to love, you can't turn the love off. So what is sin? Sin is not breaking some arbitrary rule. Sin is pointing your love in the wrong direction. Sin is not breaking some silly rule. Sin is loving something more than God. Now you think, man, why is that such a big deal? Think about it in a marriage relationship. I love my wife. My romantic love is to be pointed at her. How big of a deal is it when I point my romantic love somewhere else? And God says all throughout scripture, I am a jealous God. No, I created you to love. I created you to love like me. I created you to love me. And when we love Food, sex, fame, money, power, whatever it is, more than we love God, it separates us from him. That's really what sin is all about. Martin Martin Luther, he defines sin as the person curved in on himself. That's really what sin is all about. See, most atheists, they see God this way. They see him curved in on himself because they don't understand the Trinity, so they just think he's some rulemaking making old guy with a beard that's been alone forever and he's just up there with a bat to hit you over the head. They see a single person God who obviously just loves himself and demands too much. He appears angry and vengeful because they don't understand the true God. Salvation is not based on meeting some rigid standard but on a change of heart. Grace is not God letting us slide. Grace is God the Son Coming himself to rescue us. That is what grace is. When we put our faith in the Son, God's grace is not something we receive. The Holy Spirit personally comes. He invades to live inside of us. That's what makes salvation transformational. When we understand the Father's love in sending his Son to bear our sin, when we take our place, when he took our place to redeem us, to change us, to transform us. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Man, salvation is no longer transactional. It's no longer about what do I need to do? It becomes, man, who has God made me to be? I can love like that because he is love and he created me to be like him. The Trinity... It's not a problem. The Trinity is not trivial. The Trinity reveals the heart and the nature of God. I want to ask you to stand with me for a moment. We're going to pray here in just a second. I want to ask you to stand up. I want to ask you to bow your head just for a second. Close your eyes because I want you to envision this. I want you to think about it because you might have had these thoughts before too. Often we get angry with God. We get frustrated with God because we don't really... Can't sense his heart. We we lose track of what he's doing sometimes. We get frustrated. Martin Luther, he I mentioned him before, he was kind of the father of the Reformation. He was a, a Catholic monk that, that really broke away from the Catholic Church and said, Hey, we're not saved by paying dues to the church. We're not saved because some man says it. We're saved by grace through faith. He was that guy. But when you read Martin Luther's story, the thing that stood out to me was the fact that he said, and I would call him if I were to give him a title, the thing the way I think about Martin Luther is he was the monk who hated God. Because when you read his life story, he says, man, I served God and I knew God, a God of righteousness, a God of judgment. And over time, I began to get angry with God, frustrated with God. He says in in some of his works, some of his writings, he said, I even got to the point I hated God until I encountered him as Father. When I got to know him as Father, he said, I fell in love with God. And he said, and I realized for my entire life, I had not even been worshiping the right God Sometimes we have such a broken view of God that we're not even worshiping the right God. We're not even relating to the God of the Bible, the God of love. And I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think about this. You ever been angry at God? You ever wondered why God does what he does? I think you've heard today the gospel that God loves you, that God created you for love, that he's filled you with love. Do you see God differently now in your heart? Can you understand your sin? It's not breaking some silly rule. No, it's, it's turning away from this God who loved you so much he sent his son for you. I believe true faith always begins with seeing our sin for what it is. The darkness, the blackness of turning away from this love to ourself. And if you can see that, if you can see your sin, but then see the light of a God that would love you that much, maybe for the first time you're, you're starting to get it. You're starting to see it. Man, I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your heart, your life to that God, not some other God. Maybe, maybe in the past you felt like you were serving God, but it was a God of judgment, it was a God of law, it was a God of legalism, it was a God that, that he had some unreasonable standard you could never live up to, a God of holiness, but it wasn't the good holiness we talked about. It was, it was this rigid God. Maybe you've served that God, but you've never encountered this God, this God of love, the Father that sticks his foot out from behind the couch because he wants you to find him. You've never found him before. But today, for the first time, you see the foot sticking out from behind the couch. And you say, I think I see it. All you have to do, the Bible says, all you have to do is tell him that you believe. Just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Yes, I believe in that God, that Jesus came, he died for me, he rose again. If that's you today... And you want to pray this. If you're online, you can lift your hands. There's something you can click in the chat. We'll pray with you as well. But if that's you today, and you want to receive this Father, this love, right now, right now, I ask you to lift your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Don't hold back. Just lift your hand up towards heaven. We're just going to say a simple prayer of faith. Amen. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. A God of love, a God that wants to transform you. Amen. Let's pray this, church. Let's pray it together. Say, Father God, I don't come out of fear. I don't come because I just need something. I see you. I see your love. I see who you are. I know you created me to love me. I want to love you. Change my heart. Change my heart. I believe And what Jesus did for me, you are Lord. I acknowledge you now. I give you my heart in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.